So the, the message has been preached um, this morning already. <clears throat> Our pastor's not angry. Uh, he's passionate. Uh, the Lord has shown him something in person. He's heard of it, but now he's seen it. I'd be a little worried if he came back and he was the same as when he went. <clears throat> so he's, he's not upset, but rightly so, filled with uh, enthusiasm and zeal and uh, burden for the need and the shortness of the hour. So uh, understand that, and then understand that as a church family, you now have an obligation, which no doubt you're aware of. Uh, I think you were aware of that when the church commissioned and sent the family. Uh, this is one of the three that the church has commissioned to send this is a representation of the needs that other families have as well. We didn't talk about the Agateps, certainly didn't talk about Soren and the various needs in other fields. But for now, you have been introduced to the reality of a need in one part of our world. <clears throat> and you have an obligation, you have an obligation to step in and do what uh, the Lord would have you to do with regards to that need. So it's time for everybody to do what the Lord would have you to do. For those that have very little, then you give what you can. For those that are rich, then you give a lot. Charge them that are rich in this world to, uh, to not be heady and high-minded, but you're to be uh, willing to distribute, ready to communicate. That's your responsibility. That's why God entrusted you with your wealth. Uh, everyone has an opportunity to give, and now's the time to give because the, there are souls that are hanging in the balance Genuinely speaking, there are multitudes of people that could get saved and growing and discipling. Ricardo is a trainer of men. That's what he does. And so we need to give him the opportunity to do what he's been gifted to do, brethren. And that opportunity comes in the form of uh, dollars because if he had the money, then he'd be able to have the opportunities that he doesn't currently have. He needs facilities. He needs a vehicle. He, the working in um, Karawatai is way out in the middle of nowhere. And when I was with him, the weather was good, so we were able to go out there. And I lost all my fillings on that road. It is the bumpiest road. Um, and when we finally got out to where we were going, it was forever. And when we got out to where we were going, uh, he snapped the undercarriage of his car just trying to get in to visit somebody. We, we were driving in. I opened the gate for him. And uh, when he drove his car in, you just heard the call-honk from underneath. And it was steel that was snapping. And, you know, he gets out and he's like... And he broke the car. So what I'm saying is that whole work is going to dry up and go away unless he has a vehicle. Uh, so that's, that's where the church gets involved. We have to do what we have to do. So it ought not to be a burden, brethren. It ought to be a blessing. We ought to be ready. We ought to be ready. But um, that is our responsibility. So uh, what I said is the message has been preached. It doesn't mean I'm not going to preach. But the message has been preached. Our responsibility is not to respond and uh, to respond in faith and love and uh, sacrifice. Hey, I'm just telling you, it's awesome, all right? And uh, the Lord doesn't need 200 and some odd people. He could use two. But he chooses to give us an opportunity each to be involved. So let's get involved, shall we? And uh, let's do it with joy. Hey, God still loves a cheerful giver, and, uh, but he'll take your money if you're a grouch anyway. So didn't say he didn't want you to give if you're grumpy. He'll, he'll still take that and use it. But you get the benefit and the blessing out of a smile. So are we okay saying that? It's all right. It's true anyway whether we're okay or not. So I love you, but you need to give. And so let's just all get involved. And um, 
What a great family. They are a, a dear blessing. I was, I was in, as encouraged to see Isabel smiling as I was to see Ricardo's belly sticking out there. Um, they're a dear family, and they're doing exactly, listen, they're doing exactly what the Lord sent them to do. And um, it's a blessing. It's fruit that abounds to their and your account, but uh, it's only going to abound to your account, not just because you're a member of the church, but because you pray and give. That's why it abounds. So anyway, praise the Lord for that. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to revise, I guess, everything that I was going to say because I feel like the Lord would have us to do that. And I am mindful of your time, uh, but I'm not so mindful that I'm going to neglect to give you some things from the Word of God. And so um, we have a privilege today to gather together, open the Bible. It is good to be with you, by the way. Uh, the last two messages that I have uh, taught and preached here were yesterday morning and this morning, and I feel like I had, um, I, I was hard on those of you that were here, and uh, I don't apologize for that because I wasn't trying to be hard, I was just trying to give you what the Lord had given me, but nevertheless, there are times and seasons in our life, dear brethren, where we need to be shaken a little bit, and we need to be woken up, and so if you find yourself asleep this morning, um, literally, please wake up, but spiritually, please, uh, please wake up. And uh, let's just see what the Lord would have for us together this morning, okay? Matthew 28 is just this amazing chapter of the Word of God. It's amazing uh, on a number of levels. Number one, that the body of Jesus Christ physically came out of the ground. Uh, if you believe that and have embraced the gospel, then you are a child of God. Uh, if you do not believe that, then you are in the peril of your soul. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he came out of the ground, he resurrected from the dead, it is the, it is the hope and anchor of all that I am, and uh, I appreciate the fact that God uh, raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, and when I die, he's going to raise me from the dead. A lot of people in the world don't know that. There's a lot of people in the world know that and don't believe that, but that doesn't matter, it doesn't change the truth of it, and uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happens to be one of the fundamental truths of Christianity. So I hope you know that. And if you're not aware of that story or you don't know Jesus Christ personally, it would be our pleasure today to open the Word of God and show you from the Bible how that you can know Christ as your Savior, who can forgive you from your sin. And uh, we would, any one of us would be more than happy, we'd be delighted to take some time and open the Bible with you. So please don't leave today if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Now, I speak to you this morning, many of you as brethren in the Lord, and uh, I want to just to talk with you just a minute about this chapter because it is, um, it's pivotal to what we are and, and who we are as believers. So end of the chapter, uh, if you'll look with me, it says in verse number 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. So before Jesus died, he told them what he wanted. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted. And that has ever been the case with Christianity there there have been those that believed and there are those that doubt. There are those that doubt. And Jesus came and spake unto them. And he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." Now, our Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we have just uh, a bit of time to gather 
and open the Word of God, and I pray that you'd instruct us. For many of us, Lord, we have heard this passage preached a number of times. My fear in opening it today was that we would tune it out. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray that that you would not allow that to happen in us, that we would truly be awake and alert spiritually this morning, and you give us an understanding of how we need to recommit to the Great Commission. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I hardly need to remind you of the state of the world. Uh, you, just have to, you just have to be in the world and you'll see where we are. Uh, and so we understand that uh, the condition of the world is a mess. Uh, John said this in, at, the, at the end of his writings in the book of 1 John. He said, we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We know that. Do we not know that? The world is wicked and it's, uh, it's horrible and it's against the Lord. It doesn't mean all is doom and gloom. We have joy and we have victory as children of God. But brethren, the world is in a state. It's in a mess. And I want to ask you a question. Do you really see the world? Do you see it for how it is, what the Lord said it was? There's, there have always been those who did not believe what God said about the world, the condition of the world, or the need of the world. Uh, I read this recently. The, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland Back in 1796, they passed a resolution. Here's their statement. They said this, To spread the knowledge of the gospel amongst barbarous and heathen nations seems to be highly preposterous. Think about that. I, I would dare say this is a group of people that if they were saved, certainly did not understand the condition of the world and understand what it was that God said they were supposed to do. There's nothing preposterous about reaching the world. I, I'm reminded of what William Carey Uh, understood when he was told about India for the first time. And he understood the the multitude of millions of people in India that were lost in heathenism and religious idolatry that knew nothing of God. He stood up before a council and he said to them, he said, I'll go down into the mine, speaking of India as a mine, I'll go down into the mine. But he said, you have to hold the ropes. And the whole lot of people said, We'll hold the ropes. Now, there were some that didn't believe. There were some that tried to dissuade him. One man said to him, sit down, young man. If God is pleased to convert the heathen, he'll do it with or without you. But there were those who held the ropes. And holding the ropes, brethren, literally meant they held the financial ropes. They held the ropes of prayer and enabled him to go do the thing that God had given them to do. And so what I'm saying is there are those who really see the condition of the world. There's others that, that don't see it. I'm asking you, how do you see the world? Uh, Jesus certainly saw it. And he was trying to pass it on. Do you see the compassion of the Lord? For those of you that know the story of Jesus, uh, the compassion of God in this. The condition of the world is the world's lost. But the compassion of the Lord is amazing that God would care enough to consider the needs of the world. Here's what I care about. I care about how to prosper myself. I'm speaking about me. I seem to go through a whole lot of my day considering uh, how I can have a benefit in this area of my life, how I can have some sort of financial uptick on this side of my life. I'm always trying to prosper an area of my life. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's just something in me as a human. I'm always trying to find a way to better myself. Do you find yourself being that way? But Jesus Christ saw the world and saw life very differently than the way that I see it. He, He looked... He looks beyond the shallowness of my vision and he sees the heart of man and he sees the sinfulness of the world. He sees the lost condition of the world. I'm asking you, do you see the world the way that Jesus saw the world? He looked upon the multitudes and the Bible keeps telling us the same thing. He was moved with compassion. They were sheep that had no shepherd. Jesus saw something that he wanted us to see and it moved him to act. 
as you know. We want to see the roses in the blue sky and hear the birds and we want to live our, our happily normal, well-adjusted lives and just assume that the world is going that direction. But that's, a, that's not the condition of the world. He sees the iniquity and the hopelessness of sin. That's what Jesus Christ saw. And he was willing to give his life for the cause of others, was he not? Isn't that the point? He, he gave his life for the world. Isn't that what he said? He said this. He said, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. He said, I lay it down. But he said, my father loves me because I lay my life down. Why did he lay his life down? Because he saw the condition of the world. Are we okay today? Everybody awake? I know it's pushing noon and it's okay. So what I want to say to you is this. As we talk about recommitting to the Great Commission, we, we have coined the phrase the Great Commission. But really what it is, it's, a, it's, it's the command of God to us. And we need to recommit to it. We need to be aware of it. I was looking through the bulletin this morning and looking at, the, looking at the giving. And brethren, we have an obligation, an obligation to give. Let me just go back here. Everything gets real cold when we start talking about money. We have a command to give. We have an encouragement to give. We have a blessing if we give. We have a promise when we give. And as a church that has sent out missionaries and a church that supports missionaries we didn't send... We have an obligation to give. So I've given you five compelling reasons to give. We, we have responsibilities, and we need to recommit to the Great Commission. I'm not just talking about money, but brethren, I am talking about money. It's not the only thing, but it's part of the thing. And so all of us, we need to understand that the, the condition of the world is hopelessly lost, and the compassion of the Lord was that he saw people for who they really are. Uh, Paul said it this, he said, For scarcely for a righteous man would, would one die. Yet peradventure, maybe, that's what that word means, peradventure for a good man, some would, would dare to die, but God commendeth his love. He demonstrated his love toward us, 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 in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, that is the compassion of God. He saw the condition of the world, and he had compassion because of who we were. Now, how, do, how are we to respond to such compassion? What is our response as children of God this morning? Our, our, we are the recipients of the compassion. If you're saved this morning, you are a recipient of the compassion of Jesus Christ. He saved you from your sin. What a marvelous God. We have received His compassion. We who are indwelt by Him. Not only did we receive that forgiveness of sins, but now we, we are indwelt by Him. And Jesus said this. He said, learn of me. Did He not? That's what, at the beginning of his ministry, he was speaking to the people and he said, learn of me. I wonder how it is that we could learn so much about Jesus, but we, we fail sometimes to consider the great fundamental truth of who he was. The reason that he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus, that was his stated purpose in coming. And then he said to us, learn of me. And it's like we've learned everything else about Jesus except for that one thing that his sole motivating driving factor was to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, learn of me. How are you doing on that? How are we doing on that part of it? The condition of the world is evident. That having no hope and without God in the world, that's the world. They have no hope. They're without God. The compassion of the Lord is also evident. Hey, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Now consider with me then 
the commission given to the church. You're in Matthew chapter 28. And so he says this, go. He says, go ye, all of you. Ye is the plural. Go ye. Go ye therefore. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. I see here an obligation. Now hear me this morning. An obligation to disperse. I see that you and I have an obligation to disperse. The song must always be reminded to us. It's a great song. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? Uh, It's like the children all want to gather around the table and let's just come and get fed and get fed and get fat. And people are dying and going to hell all around the world by the billions who have never one time heard a presentation of the fact that Christ died for their sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried according to the Scriptures and He rose again the third day according... They've never heard it. But we love coming to church. An obligation to disperse. He said go. We have an obligation to go because of the urgency of the hour. Oh, I wish I could convey to you this burden of urgency. Can you not see that the world is on its way to hell? Can we not understand? Jesus called out His own people as hypocrites. And He says, you can see the seasons. And you can understand that if the, if the, the sky is Red tonight, then it's going to be a certain weather. He says, you can understand that, but you cannot understand and discern the signs of the times. Jesus was upset with his own people because they couldn't see it. And brethren, we've got to be able to look at the world around us and understand from God's word that we have a sense of urgency. All the world is in a mess. And it's not just going to happen by default. The world's not going to get it. Somebody's got to tell them of the gospel. And there is an urgency to do that. It's almost dark. Summer is ending. Souls are dying. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because the night comes when no man can work. And there's going to come a day when if you're saved, you're going to hear a really loud trumpet. And in that moment, uh, you will be changed, the Bible says. And this mortality will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. And, and then she'll be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, listen, we call that the blessed hope, and aren't we happy for it? It it should motivate us, it should drive us, it should give us joy, but it should also remind us of the sense of urgency that there are billions of people in the world who will not have that hope, and they will die, go into a Christless eternity. There is no reprieve. There is no discharge from that place. There's no such thing as purgatory, the, the fiction and invention of man. I'm telling you, when a person dies, they go to heaven or they go to hell. That's what Jesus Christ said. There is an urgency to this life because there's so many people that are dying and on their way to a Christless eternity. The summer has ended, the harvest is past. And as it said in the book of Jeremiah, we are not saved. There is an urgency. We have an obligation to go because of the urgency. I I was reading and just kind of studying through uh, a bit of history through the course of this week. And I was really moved by others that were moved by the urgency. Now hear me. Have you heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor said, Would that God would make hell so real to us that we cannot rest. Heaven so real that we must have men there. 
Christ so real that our supreme motive and aim shall be to make the man of sorrows the man of joy by the conversion to him of many. Hudson Taylor. David Brainerd said this. He said, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. How about Robert Moffat to Africa? He said this, In the vast plain to the north, I have sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. You see, it was an urgency that charted the course of men and women to forsake all that they had and the comforts of their home and all of their family and all of their possessions. Brethren, listen, the the missionary heritage that we have is filled with men who were wealthy and gave away their fortunes and went to a far country and labored for Jesus Christ until death took them. Wealthy men who gave up all that they had, and it wasn't just the wealthy, but it was the wealthy. I'm saying there were people who charted their whole course because they saw that there was an urgency to the hour. It wasn't just the fact that Jesus was coming back soon. There's an urgency in that area. But it's also the understanding that man's life is as a shadow, it's as a vapor, and we have an obligation to reach this generation. It's always been that way. May I remind you of the mind of God who said this. And of some having compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Just have a little compassion on the lost and make a difference. Make a difference. Brethren, we must be aware of the urgency, but what about the strategy? I know that as I look at you, this is really just a reminder to many of you, but shall we just talk about the strategy? You know, the strategy is not ours, it's his. You understand? The strategy was not ours. We didn't invent the whole thing. Missions is not the invention of man. Missions is following in obedience the command that God gave. That's what the modern missionary movement is meant to be. It's not our strategy, it's his. It begins with go, but it doesn't doesn't end with go. We, We saw this report. For 30 minutes, we heard about a ministry where what they're doing is they already went. There they are. Now what are they doing? They're reaching, they're baptizing, and they're teaching. You know what that is? That's a fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's God's strategy in action by one of our own. But it's not just Ricardo and Isabel that have an obligation to do that. It's every single member of this church. Every single member. None is exempted. The commission is binding upon all of us. Money in the offering does not exempt us from fulfilling the Great Commission. It's the submission and surrender and yielding to the Spirit of God. And listen, obedience to what God already told us to do. That's the strategy. It's an obligation to disperse. Well, you know what else? The Great Commission is an obligation to spend. I love this. Don't you like to spend? Come on, just be honest. We had money, we like to spend it, don't we? If you have energy, you pretty much like to spend it somewhere. There was a missionary named Keith Falconer, one of many who had a similar statement, but this is what he said. He said, I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Have you looked around the world and seen the darkness? We talked yesterday morning with the men about increasing our knowledge. Why is it that we are not fulfilling 
our obligation to reach the world. It's, it's because a lot of times we just don't know the condition of the world. We're unaware of it. But are you aware that there are nations today that still do not have any access to the gospel? Are you aware that very close to Australia, Indonesia, this massive hundreds of millions of people live there, a predominantly Muslim nation? What do we need? Well, we need the gospel there. Who's willing to go? An opportunity to spend. Hey, you know what? When you die and you will, there's no investment. There's no property. There's no bank account. There's no status. None of that is going to make one iota of difference when you die. Not a single bit. If you have money and you leave it to your kids, they're going to fight over it. 100%. So why, why do that? Leave them $100, tell them to take a vacation with whatever they got there, and uh, give the rest of it to the Lord. But we don't do that. We don't think that way. All we have is a gift in the furtherance of the kingdom of God through our lives. It's not exclusively for our personal comfort. It's not for our enrichment. It is to an extent. But every one of us has to look at our finances and say, oh, how much do we really need and how much can we give? Why has God given me what I have? Paul said it this way in a spiritual sense, but also very much in a physical sense. He said to the church of Corinth, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. I will give all that I have physically and I will give all that I have emotionally. I am fully invested in the work. And brethren, that ought to be our heart. I want to spend and be spent for the work of God. That should be our heart. Yeah, we've seen the condition of the world. We've seen the compassion of the Lord. There's no doubt about that. We've seen the commission to the church. And so now we must understand this as we close. And a little bit heavy-hearted here, but let's just be honest. The inattention of the body. And I want us to look at this together. Because the Great Commission has not been repealed. It's just been replaced. God never repealed it and said, well, it's no longer binding on any of us. We've just replaced it with other things. It's funny how binding it was upon the first century Christians. They were an under an obligation to disperse themselves throughout the globe and preach Christ. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said? He said, go ye therefore. All right. He said to his own, get up and go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel and I want you to begin at Jerusalem. But he didn't say stop there. He said start here and then go everywhere. Okay, how many of you remember a little bit later on in the book of Acts, there was this great persecution that came on in the first few chapters of Acts. And you had Saul, who was one of the chief, but not the only, who was going around and persecuting and imprisoning and many times torturing and killing Christians inside of Jerusalem in the, in the region. And there was a great persecution that arose because of this man, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, who preached this amazing message, and then they killed him. And so it, it caused the persecution, and there were many that got up and fled Jerusalem and had to go somewhere safe. Do you remember the story? Okay, now God gives us a, this amazing thought in that verse. It says that they went, and it says, except the apostles. Now listen to me. Jesus was talking to the apostles right here, where we're at. He said, I want you to go. Start at Jerusalem and go. But just a few chapters later, there was this great persecution and everybody left except the apostles who were told to go. Are you with me? The problem is this. 
The gospel was now in Jerusalem, and it was spreading around Israel, but it was contained. And Jesus Christ didn't die to have it contained. He wanted it in the whole world. And he told his disciples, get up and go. And they weren't going. So what did he do? He sent persecution. And when he sent persecution, everybody scattered except the very ones he told to go. But the thing I love about the story is not the fact that the apostles didn't do what they were supposed to do. The thing I love about the story is the fact that the common man that was being persecuted, don't miss this, it was the common Christian. It was the average guy. It was the nobody who wasn't educated. It was the person who was probably another fisherman, and there might have been another tax collector. It could have been any average person that had gotten saved and trusted Jesus Christ. They scattered, and the Bible says that they scattered everywhere preaching the word. They were doing what they were told to do in the first place. And the gospel spread. But I fear that all these years later, we as Christians have this presumption that because the gospel was initiated all those years ago, that now it's just got its own momentum, it's just going to go its own way, and we don't really have to do any more of that anymore. That part has already been done, and the ripple effect is going to carry on, and pretty soon everybody's going to hear the gospel. But that is, that is a modern-day fantasy in the mind of so many Christians. That was their generation. But guys, we have a responsibility in our generation. And the church as a whole has, very, has been very inattentive to the Great Commission been very inattentive to the Great Commission. There are a good number of churches that have been around a long time that have never sent a missionary out. I just, I look around and I say, who's next? You that are here. To the young, I would say this. Why don't you give up your ambitions for a comfortable life and realize that God never saved you for a comfortable life? Lay aside your petty ambitions and go serve Jesus Christ. For those that are older, God is not unable to use you. If you still have your health to some extent, why don't you just give the rest of your life to God and just go somewhere and preach the gospel? For those of you that are older and you don't really have your health, you live in an area where you could easily win somebody to Jesus and get them to church and see them baptized and discipled and go do it again and go do it again and go do it again until the day you die. Everybody can be busy about the master's business. But I fear that the inattention of the church has bred a culture in the church of what we want to do is we want to live a comfortable life. And so we're breeding that into our children. And we're not encouraging our children to go and pay attention to the last orders that Jesus Christ gave to us. The inattention of the church. I don't know if the Lord would bring persecution to get the message back out again, but he might. I fear that we, and I don't mean we necessarily as Southland Baptist Church, but we as Christianity, I believe that we have neglected the work of the gospel. There is a, there's somewhat of a folly about the, the calling of God and a bit of a misunderstanding, I think, about it. And a lot of times people are waiting around for a call, as I said yesterday morning, when we already have the command of God to go. So I would like to ask you, are you willing to go? I think we need to recommit. What I'm asking you to do is to recommit to the Great Commission. It means this and then we'll be done. For those of you here today that it's been a long season since you shared Jesus Christ with anybody, then perhaps the, the recommitting that you need to do is to start being a witness. Uh, start sharing Christ with those that need to know Him. Uh, it was just a tremendous blessing last week 
to listen to a young lady who was, who was saying that she had been asking the Lord to just run her across the path of somebody who needed to get saved. And she would tell him. She would just ask the Lord, would you create an opportunity for me to be a witness to somebody? And you know what the Lord did that week? Ran her across somebody who needed to get saved, and she gave him the God. Okay, listen. You and I, if we're asking the Lord, lead me to somebody. I want my witness to count, so give me somebody who's searching. Do you not think the Lord is going to lead us and direct our path to somebody who's searching? Well, sure he will. The reason we're not connecting with people is we're not asking God. So maybe part of our recommitting is some of us here today, we just need to say, Lord, I'm going to get serious about this business of evangelizing because that's why I'm here after all. And maybe some of us are actively pursuing the souls of men, but we're just as actively pursuing our own personal ambition. And maybe for some of us, we just need to recommit and say, Lord, if you want to redirect my life, I'm ready. I'm willing. And yeah, I want to have a nice retirement. Yeah, I want to drive a nice car. And yeah, I want to have the nice stuff. And it's all about the new clothes. It's all about the new phone. Okay, God delivers from all of that. Maybe some of us would just be willing to say, Lord, I'm going to recommit and I'm going to just sort of reprioritize things in life. And I realize that life is a vapor and Jesus Christ came for the sin of the world and he left me one great commandment to do the same thing that he did. So Lord, I'm just willing to give my life. Send me. Just show me where in this big world, and why don't you do this, get a map of the world. They actually print them, as you see in the back. Get a map of the world, stick it on a wall somewhere in your house, and, and spend every day, some portion of time, looking at the countries of the world and praying for that country. Lord, I'm thinking about Brazil. We just saw it. Lord, I'm thinking about Paraguay. Lord, I'm thinking about Argentina. If you've ever looked at Argentina on a map, it's huge. Lord, they need laborers in these fields. Would you like me to go? I have an ability. I, I, could, probably, I could probably learn Spanish. Listen, if you, know, if you know Tagalog, you can probably learn Spanish pretty easy. Right? There's a lot of similarities. Don't pretend there's not. So you can say, Lord, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to learn a language and I'll just go. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not interested in comfort. I'm not interested in all of that stuff. Let me get busy about the master's business. Are you willing to recommit to the Great Commission? It would be a tragedy to go through this year and start out 2021 if God gives us another year and look back at your life. Not me looking at your life, you looking at your life and me looking at mine it would be a tragedy to say I was unmoved, I was unchanged, I was uninvested. But I have sure gained a lot of personal things in this year. I got a whole lot of new stuff in the house. I've got a whole lot of new bills that are coming in the mail. Well, my portfolio sure looks a whole lot better now than it did 12 months ago. What a tragedy 2021 would be if that's how we started it out. But if we could get to the end of this year and say, Lord, I was willing to sacrifice and invest into the work of God. I was giving myself to the, to the lost in my community. And by the grace of God, I've seen two or three people get saved this year. I'm actively discipling so-and-so. I can't wait for the next year and find out what else I can do. Wouldn't that be a victory? W wouldn't we need to have two services at the church? I was doing a little math. I'm not a super good math guy, but I was doing a little math and... I did this week. Here's what I thought. If you took 200 people and each of those 200 people won one person in a year, just one, one person in a year, then you'd have 400 people that got saved, okay? And if everybody that got saved just led one person to Christ in a year, 12 months in a year, 
in 25 years, you, had, you would have reached 7 billion people in 25 years. If everybody won one person in a year, can I ask you a question? When's the last time you personally led anybody to Jesus Christ? Uh, if you have led somebody to Christ, here it's a convicting thought because I had to think about it in my own life. Okay, when's the last time you consistently led somebody to Christ year after year in your spiritual life? And then think about how many thousands of people God brings across your path and mine every day of our life. We need to recommit to the Great Commission because there's a world that needs to be saved. So I don't mean this to be in any way a downer, but more of a, just a, a, an awakening for us and a realization, okay, we have a great responsibility, a great privilege, we have a command, let's get busy and get after the master's business. Our Heavenly Father, thank you today for the word of God. There's really no way to close out a message like this, Father, other than just to allow your spirit to do his work in our life. And so, Lord, I'm, aware, I'm well aware that there may be some that have not taken the spirit of the message well. And uh, for those people, Lord, I, I pray for them that you would soften their heart and in humility, they would recognize that it's just the authority of your word that, that sometimes confronts them. We all go through that, and I pray for them. But Lord, more I pray for those that, with an attentive heart, open, submitted, yielded to your spirit, that would be sitting here in this place today and would be eager to respond. Lord, I, I pray that you'd have our hearts, because when you have our hearts, you have us, Lord, and and so I pray you'd have our hearts this morning. And I pray for these, my friends that are here, Lord, that we with one heart, one mind would rise up together as you said and demonstrated in Nehemiah's day. And in our own way, we would just say, let's rise up and build. There is a job to do. It's our responsibility. Help us to do it with joy and sacrifice and commitment. Father, because I fear that if we, if we refuse then, Lord, you'll just pass over this place. You'll, you'll use somebody else. And we will just be content to die. And I pray that would not be so. So, Lord, use us. Help each one of us today to recommit to the Great Commission and to do the thing that you've given us to do. So, Lord, if there's one here today that needs to, needs to get saved, then that's the first step to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But there may be one here today. You've been knocking on the door of their heart for a while and there's a man here who needs to just give himself to the ministry, preaching the word of God, giving his life to what matters. I pray that you would work on that man's heart today. He'd yield himself to you, Father. You're still calling men. The question is, Lord, are we listening? Then, Lord, I pray for all of us, every single one, that we would be recommitted from today, from this moment, to get up and get out and get into the lives of people and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, you can save anyone anyone, but they just need to hear the gospel first. So help us to recommit that you would be glorified in it, and we would do the job you've given us to do, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment, if we could have the pianist come, we'll take a moment of invitation. I don't know what the Lord has said to you today, but I, I would ask that you would please respond to the Spirit of God. There's no force trying to compel anybody. You just do what God tells you to do.